0: Hey y'all, check that out! That little custom intro was done by none other than my boy Freddy. (laughs) He's so good, you guys. Um... He's so good. He'll anytime I need him to, for YouTube, for whatever. I'm like, hey, can you play some sweet licks? Because Freddie has so far blown away anything that I could ever dream of achieving by age 12 already. He's uh, he's turning 13 this weekend, and anyway, he's just one of those guys that's got the guitar gift. I just that right there. What you heard? I I don't know that I could. Ever dream dream of doing that? <laughs> oh man! Welcome into Steady at the Wheel, you guys. All apologies, we've uh, we've kind of left you out there to your own devices for the last couple of weeks. Not for lack of love. As always, we we appreciate we appreciate everything you guys do. Um, it always makes me feel good when we miss a week or two, and you start to get messages, of people saying, "Oh man, when's it coming out? Where you at? What's going on? What's going on?" And it, it, it does. it makes you feel good. You're like this is, this is a good thing that people are getting used to and enjoy and and uh, I don't think we'd have the motivation to do it without you guys. So appreciate that as always. sending some serious love. You guys tonight, I am recording from the ranch from the uh, from the ranch with this little portable rig. I think I learned a lot about this portable microphone setup. Uh, when I when we recorded that interview with Branson Anderson uh, a few episodes back, we were we were doing that live on the go, and I really messed up the balance on that. I am quite boisterous and loud, and Branson is not as loud. And as some of you, I'm sure. Realize we just we just cut that raw and posted it. And that's similar how this will be. It's just going to be cut raw and posted. However, I am by myself, you guys. There are no special guests on the show, on this episode. Uh, Luke is absent. we just, just just busy. And you guys are busy, too. Um, we don't own the rights to being busy. I know that this time of year, on our end, anyway, this time of year and you 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 know you tell us if you relate you tell me if you relate to this but this is the time of year where like everything's coming down to the wire all these projects that you you like to do in nice weather especially here in Montana uh you have to get these these warm weather nice weather projects done while the weather is just that nice otherwise well one of two things uh, one you're just not going to get it done and it's going to get pushed into next spring and summer or you're going to be outside doing it in some miserably cold weather. I'm reminded of a time on the ranch here that <laughs> it was I think it was 20 below 0. 15 to 20 below. It was one of those cold snaps that we get and we had come home from church and as we looked out you know you always the way the ranch is set up here you kind of you kind of come off a little sweeping hill, curve hill, <laughs> and you can look out to the east and see the cow herd. And we looked out to the east that day, and the cows were all in the haystack. And, of course, so we, we changed. We, we put on our, our warm stuff, and we shoot out there as quick as we can because this is the dead of winter time. And <laughs> we got out to that poor haystack, and these cows had gotten so deep into it that the entire back fence of this hay corral uh, or stack yard, whichever you prefer, the back, I mean, it was just gone. It was a barbed wire fence. It was a five wire barbed wire fence and they had pretty much just pancaked it. And it was so far gone that we realized we weren't going to be able to repair it. Um, So... Uh, If I remember this correctly, we had had... I think we had planted some posts, some railroad ties. uh, Because we we knew that this was a fence that at some point was going to need repair. Something to do with the the wind being so cold, all the cows kind of bunched up behind this haystack. And as they bunched tighter and tighter to put their body heat together, they just kind of pushed the fence over. So we got to go out and... In that weather, we had to put boards up and and get everything going uh to get that fence in shape, not just the barbed wire fixed up, but it it was an incredibly cold day. so my point in that and sharing that little story <laughs> is that when the weather turns, it's turned, and you might get some warm little windows where the weather modulates, but for the most part, it's turned so uh honestly that's that's kind of where we're sitting. I I due to due to the NASCAR trips that I've been doing uh all this past year I'm just finding that I have a lot of these projects that I have really put on the back burner and here I am now in crunch time not so much on my end anyway not so much necessarily crunched up against winter time yet you know we still have a couple of months of decent weather but I'm up against the the cow run is getting it's getting ready to to fly uh, the fall run that we talk about here all the time. It is, it is just right there. It's, you can just feel that it's so close. Um, I think I've got three loads booked, uh, this next, well, starting this weekend, I run off to, uh, to Kansas and then I got to get back, uh, to reload, to go to Idaho and then come back to reload and go to Idaho again. And that's kind of how the fall run gets. So these, so I, in a nutshell, the time has come, um, you know shop projects getting these cow trailers ready to go uh getting tires and brakes and things put on these rigs the time is now <laughs> and my to-do list is is very long and i know luke's been tied up with some similar uh some similar things in his own in his own realm or in his own space so just haven't been able to get together but here i am now i uh, we we talked about it and kind of thought you know what i'm going to just throw something up throw something out it's it's different to I this is actually my first time doing this alone. You know, uh back back when Weston and I, younger brother Weston, we did the Chronicles of Weston and Jackson. If you haven't listened to those, you guys, you gotta go back and dig those. I think it was like five or six episodes. And uh we kind of detailed some of our our, our past, Weston and I, the younger brother, who is now a lawyer down in uh, Texas, but from humble beginnings <laughs> From humble beginnings, he rose. Anyway, uh, go check those out. The Chronicles. They were done last, I want to say it was like in January. I think it was when he was here for uh, for the holiday. Anyway, um, what do we got, you guys? Man alive. I hope you're well. I hope you're good. I'm, uh, as I said, this is me solo, so I'm going to get into it. Hopefully, by the end of this, you don't get tired of hearing my voice. Uh <laughs> We've had a lot of stuff going on here uh, to get caught up on. I can't wait to get back with Luke when the time comes uh, to hear how he's been doing over there with his projects and things. But if I recall, one of the last things that we were talking about in our last episode was um, getting ready here to plant crops for the first time. See, you guys, despite the fact that I grew up in farming, I mean, we've talked about it over and over for those of you that may not know, I mean, I grew up in a part of Montana that is 1,000% farming, uh, about 1% ranching, and that's what we do all summer long. We would irrigate crops, uh, mostly over there It was malt barley, and we'd irrigate and water those crops and watch them grow all summer, and then about the time football practice would start in August, it was time to, to harvest that barley. Uh, Back in those days, and that's what we spent our time doing. However, the crops were always planted in the springtime during school, so I never, I never got in, never got in on planting. Uh, This was a, this was the first time, you guys. I'm, I'm officially now a farmer. (laughs) Uh, We uh, talked about how we, I bought this, um, this old drill that you pull behind your tractor. It's a a three-point attached drill. And uh, we did it. We did it. We ended up almost planting, not quite 100 acres, but uh, close to it. And and we planted a winter wheat is what we ended up doing. Uh, This winter wheat, the idea, if everything goes to plan, this winter wheat will, uh, it'll sprout here before it gets cold and freezes, you know, in the next, probably, I'd say in the next four weeks, we'll get our first freeze the next three weeks. Um, you know, you have light freezes and hard freezes. Winter wheat can take a little cold, but you want that winter wheat to sprout and to grow up, you know, a couple inches ideally, and then it'll freeze and it'll go dormant for the winter. And then in the springtime, it'll shoot back up. And this specific variety that we, uh, planted is designed to grow and be very bushy and, you know, moderately tall so that we can cut it for hay. For the cows, um, we're trying to rehab a lot of this, a lot of this ground here on the ranch that was hammered out by the drought uh, that we've had the last three years, and uh, I think we're, I think we're well on our way. I think we have a good plan, we have a good strategy, we're going to stick to the plan. But the weakness in the plan, at least, uh, I have a little more hope today. But the weakness in the plan prior to today was my lack of faith in my ability as a farmer, <laughs> because. I've never done it. I've been around it. I have irrigated thousands and thousands and thousands of acres over the years of different crops, mostly, mostly barley and alfalfa, but again, never, never done it. So the thing that I found I struggled with the most was this, you, basically the way it works is you, you put your seed, this uh, wheat seed, you put it into the hopper of this cedar or this drill, they call it and you put the drill down, and you drive on your way, and all the mechanisms work, and they turn, and they break the ground, and insert the seeds. Uh, little little FYI thing, you're shooting for a million seeds per acre. A million seeds. And uh, so these seeders have you know they have charts that tell you how how open how far open you're supposed to open the seed chute uh for different crops based on the size of the seed all based around trying to hit this million seed per acre mark and uh <laughs> i kept i i i would i would go down the row and everything would turn right i mean the machine's doing what it's supposed to do but i just lacked faith i was like uh what if it's not doing it though? And how do you know? You don't know because you just put the seeds in the ground. And this is funny because this is like since you were, you know, little little in Sunday school. Uh <laughs> it's like the first thing they teach you, right? Like faith is like a seed, you know, you just plant it and it'll grow. And you're like, but what if you don't really know that the seed's even getting in the ground? <laughs> so I would go a little ways and then I'd get out and I would get on my hands and knees and kinda kinda burrow like a like a little gopher or a squirrel or some small rodent. I would burrow into the dirt and I would find the seeds. I mean, they were there and and whatnot, but I'd go down a ways and then I'm like, but what if it's not? I mean, what if it's not seeding? So then I would put the tractor like in creep mode, not like creepy mode, you know, like a creepy Halloween tractor, but like slow, <laughs> slow rolling mode, right? It's going so slow that you can get out and just let it drive on its own and it's not going to, it's not going to turn side to side, it's just going to go straight, so I would put it in creep mode, and I'd get out and walk behind the, the drill, and sure enough, everything's, you know, everything's turning, the, you know, the, the little seed cups are dropping seeds down the seed tubes, and they're going to the ground, and the packer wheels are, you know, packing the dirt, basically what it, this, the way this disc drill works, there's these, these sharp little discs that, you know, stab into the ground, um, and, pull it open and then the little seed drops in there and the ground kind of closes itself behind the seed and whatever part of the ground doesn't close the little packer wheels there's these rubber rollers behind that come along with a little down pressure and that that packs the seed right uh, so we just went for it and you know you, you do 30 acres 40 acres and you go open the seed bin and you know it was getting pretty close to empty so I know that the seeds went out there <laughs> But, but you got to remember you guys at age 37 this is my rookie quest into actually legitimately seeding a crop. Um in the past what we've always done is we prepare the ground and then we've called the seed company to come in with one of their one of their big spreader trucks and they just they run on like a big air fan uh kind of blows the seed the seed out and just lays it on top of the soil and then we go behind and uh, use a harrow, it's called, and and kind of scratch a little dirt up over those seeds, and then we roll all the ground and pack it down, so it kind of squishes those seeds into the into the soil a little bit. Uh, it's it's a decent way to to seed stuff. Um, kind of depends what you're seeding, but in the case of like winter wheat, it's not an ideal way to seed. It'll work, but it's not ideal. And again, you have to work around their schedule when they can come and do it. I'd rather than you know here's my little window, I'm not on the road, I'm home. Let's drill this crop, let's put her in the ground, baby <laughs> so uh fast forward to today, we got um oh last weekend, I think we got this beautiful three day rain where it just drizzled for three days um hugely you know hugely needed, always needed. We'll never complain about rain um but even. More needed because my little crop is just sitting out there waiting for some moisture. Moisture. Isn't that a good word? Moisture. (laughs) Oh, so um, the weather's warmed back up. And uh, today we went out to round up some cattle. We needed to bring the cow herd in here on the ranch. There's like a hundred and... Oh, I'm a little off probably but there's there's about 180 pairs we call them that's a mama cow and a and a and its offspring it's they're not really babies anymore cuz they're they're growing up but it's a mom and her uh baby that's a pair. We've got like a 180-ish pairs um out there. So we needed to bring those in from out in the fields. Um they kind of have free run of the ranch. We're letting them graze on the old hay fields now and have just they've got just free rain. And uh, we needed to bring them in to do what's called preconditioning, and essentially that is a health check where you bring in, we run all the cows through the through the alleyway, through the chute, look them over, make sure nobody's got any porcupine quills that they've picked up, you know, out there that we didn't notice. It's just you know we we check on them in the summertime out there on the range or in the pastures, but it's a chance to kind of bring them in, give them a good look. Um, we give them a little vaccination that that really helps. Uh, kind of block a lot of different uh little ailments that that cattle can pick up uh from running out uh and then you know uh deworm them check them out and send them on their happy way the cows look great probably probably the best our cows have looked in in several years um the past three years at this point the cows were i mean from the drought they were they were skinny and and uh not not in <laughs> ship shape but um man they look good And then we brought the calves in and did the same for them because those calves, we're going to, we're going to sell those calves here probably in the next month or two. And so as part of that, they also need to come in and get a health check. You want to make sure none of them have any little horns growing. Um, Some, some calves will, they have a little gene in their bloodline that'll cause them to grow a little bit of a horn. I should say horns. They don't just grow one horn or they would look like a unicorn or something, (laughs) Anyway, yeah, you know, you check them over same thing, want to want to check them for quills and and make sure that they all had had been castrated properly in the spring and just everything looks right. Um it's our last chance to to look at them close um before we we sell them. We also give them a couple of vaccinations that um that help them as they as they wean. Um when we wean them off their mothers, you know, as every Everything gets weaned at some point. Humans get weaned off, uh, as, of course, as babies, but, I mean, when it's time to, like, leave the, leave the ranch, when it's time to go off to college, right? Uh, it's a very stressful time for, uh, for those calves, and so they, as they're stressed, uh, their immune system gets a little weaker, and they're more susceptible to sickness, as, you know, that probably applies to humans, Lower your stress load, boost your immunity, right? The more stressed out you are and frazzed you are, it seems like you're, you know, you're lining yourself up for some uh, potential sicknesses. So try to live a stress-free life. (laughs) Good luck with that, (laughs) right? But anyway, the point I'm, the reason I'm telling you about the cows is because I, again, got on my hands and knees because it's been, you know, four days, five days since the rains. And guys, guess what? There are little blades of winter wheat popping up out in the fields. They're really going to take off the next couple days. Uh, I was so happy. It worked. It all worked, you guys. I went out to Nebraska and got this old, you know, what is it? It's 30-year-old drill. And, you know, Rooster and I shaped it up a little bit. And it worked. It, it appears to have worked. <laughs> so I'm going to say I'm a bona fide, legit farmer now, all right? And I don't want anyone to tell me different. <laughs> Oh, okay. Oh, here's the other thing, you guys. This was the other thing. The calves looked pretty good. We were happy with this because, uh, as Luke and I have talked, oh, well, it's been quite a while ago, but we bumped our calving season from January and February into April and May. That was the first time we've done this. So because we calve later, of course, the calves themselves are much smaller than what we're used to. But despite despite calving so much later, they're doing really well i uh I think it's gonna work out pretty well that by the time we decide to sell them, they're gonna be big, beautiful creatures. Ah, okay, so that's kind of the update uh for the most part, there's a few other things, but I won't bother to tell you about them um you guys ever smashed your finger before? like smashed it. Have you Do you know what I'm talking? I'm not talking about like oh, ouch, I whacked my finger on a can of beans. I'm talking like smashed it now, when you really smash your finger, do you know what happens? if you're one of those that have really smashed pretty much i'm gonna i'm gonna say anyone involved in any form of agriculture has definitely smashed a finger to this point uh anyone involved in mechanics has definitely smashed their finger to this degree um, any carpenters out there. <laughs> Uh, although, yeah. Uh, anyway, yes. So um, when you really smash your finger hard, like hard, not just like, eh, I'm talking like, like bad to where you have a small tear well up in the corner of your eye, <laughs> it turns your nail black. Um, it like damages the nail bed underneath your nail um, and ruptures, you know, blood vessels and stuff under there and basically makes like a big blood blister under your fingernail. And your finger will, if it's severe, severe, your fingernail will actually fall off. It kills the shocks and kills the nail bed, I guess. And your fingernail will eventually fall off as part of the healing process and you get a fresh new one. Um, I smashed my finger last week in a similar fashion. I am pleased that it doesn't appear that it's going to fall off, but... It smashed it enough that I had to just turn around and take some serious breaths because (laughs) I was was really angry. The circumstance really maddened me. Oh, in fact, the circumstance ties into our last episode that we did together uh, when I was last at Luke's recording, actually. So this was a couple weeks ago. Uh, I think I had mentioned that I was getting ready. I was over there because I was trucking out of uh, Luke's area. And the load I had mentioned him. The load I was hauling was a load of Holsteins. Holsteins are milk cows. For those of you that don't know, they're uh, cows that have they've just been blessed with beautiful udders and a bounteous supply of milk, which is just great. I love milk. I love it. Love Holsteins. Don't love hauling Holsteins. They uh, they're just they're just not known for being the most robust, strong type of cows beef cows are real muscly and uh hardy, you know herfords they're like the hardy cattle of texas you know back in the day like oh yeah they'd, they'd trail a herford from texas to montana montana uh holsteins not so much they're more just kind of made to hang around and grow the milks well anyway uh these holsteins of course as they've reached the end of their their good old working life um You know, it's time to go on to, to be part of the food supply to, uh, to go to the burger joint. And so, uh, I was hauling these Holsteins from Montana to Idaho and they're just a challenge because like I say, they're not real muscly. They're more known for being bony. They're healthy. You know, that's how they, that's just their genetics. That's how they are, but they're just bony and they're just, they like to lay down, and that's what they do. Like Holsteins, they go eat, and they get a belly full of all their goods, and then they go sit down and grow milk in their bag, and then they get up and they get milked, and they eat, and they do it all over again. So naturally, they kind of like to lay down. And uh, anyway, this load of Holsteins that I hauled, I had a particular compartment where they were just all decided collectively, hey, we're all just going to lay down together. And that causes problems because they just don't lay it's just they're not supposed to lay down in transit. They're supposed to stand up. Uh kind of like if you were riding a subway or something. You know, you stand up, you don't just all lay down. <laughs> and anyway, I got to a spot where I stopped to check these cows and they were they were laying down and they were in a bad way because um they don't really have much regard for each other when they're in a tight space. So I looked in the side of my trailer and one of them's like laying on another one's head course you worry because you're like that's probably hard to breathe i remember growing up when luke used to we had these giant pillows and uh like like my mom had made these huge big old pillows they were fun you could you know they were just fun big old pillows and uh i remember a few times maybe luke uh doing the old pillow on the younger brother smother trick you know of course <laughs> he knows he wasn't gonna smother us but as the younger brother under that pillow you know, for it's probably for like 10 seconds, but you were pretty sure that was uh, getting ready to be the end of times there for you. <laughs> Just it was funny because you thought you were going to die, but you had enough air in there that you could take several breaths and scream and holler and yell and be mad. <laughs> so, anyway, I'm uh, looking at this cow thinking it's probably in a similar situation or feeling maybe like I did uh, at that time. And uh, there was a couple others kind of doing a similar thing. And it's it's not good. So you got to get them up. You need to get them up. But Holsteins just kind of have a mind of their own. You know, they don't want to get up. They just probably aren't going to get up. So you persuade them as gently as possible. Sometimes that gentle persuasion does entail having to use a uh, small electrical tickle, we'll call it. And uh, anyway, I use my electric tickler. <laughs> I've never called it that. That might stick though. Where's your tickler? Uh, I used this, uh, this prod and, uh, gave the cow that was laying on the other cow's head a little nudge to say, Hey, could you get up? And, uh, that's where I made my mistake. You see, um, cows, when they get up, they kind of, they'll kind of rock back and forth. They might throw their head side to side. And I had reached up on the side of my trailer. A cow trailer has vent holes on the side, so you can get a lot of airflow through there for the cattle, right? Uh, So if you need to climb onto the side of your trailer to gain access to a compartment that's raised up, um, you have to hang onto the sides, right? So you're just, I mean, think of it like reaching your hand through a hole and hanging onto something. Um, Your fingers are all inside of the trailer, your palm, of course, the back of your hand is on the outside, and your knuckles are on the outside of the trailer. But the fronts of your, uh, your or the backs of your fingers are all inside the trailer. So here I am, uh, one, one hand through an air vent, you know, fingernails inside the trailer. And the other hand is using my electric tickler to reach through another hole and uh, persuade this cow to please kindly lift your body weight off of the head of your... Little buddy here, so that it doesn't suffocate, and uh so I gave the cow a little you know a little zippy zip and <laughs> and she thrashed her head to the side and just just smashed her head right into the side wall of my trailer um However, it wasn't totally into the side wall of my trailer, it just so happened to be that my middle finger of my right hand was right there, just right where her old eye socket or whatever was at. And uh, they met up. And, of course, the sidewall of the trailer doesn't have a whole lot of give, being that it's a aluminum wall made for containing cattle. And my finger came out of that little, eh, little interaction worse, worse, much worse off than it was before I climbed on the side. <laughs> and uh, at that point, I kind of lost all my focus, and I did not really care so much what happened to who. Uh, but I did get the cows up, everything, uh, everything ended up fine, I got them all the way to Idaho, and we did not have any issues with the cows uh, passing on, but my finger is still, still black, but it's not going to fall off, it didn't totally blacken, so that is, uh, <laughs> that's a bonus, so if you have a smash finger out there, if you're listening and have a smash finger, I uh, I feel for you right now, I'm looking at it as, we're, as I'm speaking, and uh, just knowing that somebody out there has probably just recently gone through a similar pain, so, I got you. <laughs> all right, uh, I want to tell you a story. Uh, and this story is going to have a... I've got two stories to tell you, all right? Uh, well, maybe two and a half. Anyway, um, I want to tell you this story. This was comes from my sister, actually, who lives down in Arizona. And uh, kind of in the family um, amongst my my siblings, I, I would say I've kind of become... Yeah, I would say it's safe to say I'm kind of the mechanical go-to. Do you have someone like that in your family that just kind of ended up being the one that was mechanically inclined? So if you're having some weird issues, um, you call them and say, hey, my my rig was doing this. What do you think? Or I went to a shop and they told me I needed this. Is that legitimate? Or are they kind of jerking me around? Or what do you think? Um, Anyway, that's kind of just where I found myself in my little family tree with my siblings and with my folks and so um my sister calls me up she was having some troubles with her uh with her van uh down there and as you know you guys there's nothing more uh there's just nothing kind of more frazzy razzy than when you're having vehicle issues especially if you're in traffic you're in a spot where it's just not ideal like the other day i passed a a vehicle that was just had sh- shut down in the turning lane, I mean it was like in the intersection, trying to turn and it just died and oh it just you're like, oh, of all the things that's a terrible place for that car to decide to let loose right anyhow um she was having some problems uh some of the and i won't drag you through the specifics, but she was having some uh, electrical issues and some some unreliability with her vehicle uh and it's not an old vehicle, a fairly new vehicle but electronically, uh, anyway, electronically based. That's what I'm trying to say. So, uh, kind of gave her some ideas, you know, to check for some basic stuff, you know, battery alternator type stuff. And, uh, it turned out it was, I, I believe that in the end it was an alternator, but, uh, once she got her vehicle in the shop, she, uh, she so much hates to be left stranded somewhere, uh, at the mercy of others that when it was in there, um, and this was a Honda van that uh, kind of had the right amount of mileage that it was probably time, you might start thinking about a timing belt, right? Um, I think they have a, an actual belt on those. If it's a chain, somebody out there probably knows. I apologize for the mix-up. Timing belt or timing chain on this uh, on this Honda. So, uh, of course, when a timing belt or a timing chain uh, goes, when it, when it goes bad, it's... It's not. It's not good. You're you're definitely dead in the water. And if it really goes bad, it can even it can even damage your engine in a more serious way. Um, so while it was in there, she goes, you know what? Let's let's do the timing belt. I think we should do the timing belt. And uh, of course, the mechanic's like, well, yeah, that's a timing belt's a good job. It's a good paying job. It's an expensive job. As a you know, as a consumer or as a customer, you're going to pay a lot for a timing belt. It's a lot of labor. It's a very simple part, but the labor involved to access that that part uh as you may or may not know the labor is kind of the killer on that thing but uh she called and was telling me all this and i was and i kind of let her talk and finish up and when she got done i kind of gave her the the verbal slow clap and was like this is great like i'm so proud of you you went in and you were being proactive on your maintenance i love being proactive on maintenance i love hearing about others being proactive on vehicle maintenance um when my uh when my Freightliner that i uh that i use my cascadia that i call charlie brown when it reached a million miles i took it into the shop and gave it what i called the million mile makeover where i said okay here's like 15 things that i want inspected slash uh replace change regardless you know i put new springs on it we did kingpins uh, um you know brakes and drums and um just uh, i won't go through it all but a lot of stuff that you know a lot of it there was nothing they're like your kingpins really don't have much play there's a little but not much i was like well, change them i just want them to be tight i want you know it's they they made it a million miles like good for you yeah you know i i applaud you little part uh you know what? I'm gonna let you retire. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull you out, and let you get repurposed into something else at the uh, at the scrapyard. So um, when she told me this story, I was I was just so tickled. So it, it just got me to thinking that you know how are you how are you with your prevention with your maintenance? Um, an ounce what's an ounce of prevention? I don't know, guys. I'm sorry. Wow. That one left me in a hurry. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, um, especially you guys in the trucking world. You guys out there uh, wheeling it out there. If you're wheeling, um, man, dude, don't, don't, just don't scrimp. Do not scrimp. Do whatever you got to do to come up with the money to make sure that you are not not cutting, making shortcuts, taking shortcuts with your uh, with your maintenance. Um, it just pays such dividends in the end one you know it adds to your truck rel- reliability two uh, you know it's it's a you're really mitigating your risks of as far as getting stranded somewhere um having a tow bill you know like it seems like well i can't quite afford to do such and such you know you know for example um when your air compressor comes out when you take your air compressor out on a detroit on a series 60 detroit and you pull that air compressor out your um your cam position timing sensors um it's it's got these two little sensors and they're right there and they're like 50 bucks a piece and if your compressor is on they're very hard to replace so you got that compressor off i don't care how old they are replace them just replace them just do it it's it's great prevention right um I was talking to my mechanic down in, uh, down in Billings, talking to old Smokey Joe. Isn't that a good name for a mechanic, Smokey Joe? I like to call him Josephus. Josephus, I hope you're listening to this because you're going to just gonna be laughing in your shop, hearing your name across the waves. <laughs> um, anyway, we were chatting and he was just you know, sharing mechanic and stories from over the years. And, and he would mentioned a story once where um, the, the job he was doing required the transmission to be removed from the truck. Uh removing a transmission is not a hard job, it's just a heavy job. You know, it's it's not that it's complicated, it's just I mean, those are heavy. They're heavy. And you know, you undo the bolts and you gotta wiggle them out and, and take the drive line off. And I mean, a proficient mechanic can do it, you know, a couple hours, he's got it on the ground, no big deal. They make it look easy. I'm like, eh, that's a good day job for me. <laughs> But anyway, uh, the point of this story was that the transmission came out and they, I think they had to take it out to gain access to a certain part within the engine. It wasn't, you know, a typical reason you'd remove a transmission. It was one of these newer motors where, you know, you had, in order to access the, I don't know what it was, something that they needed to access, but it might have even been, the I don't know, I don't want to say, but anyway, because um, I'll be guessing. But the point of it is they remove the transmission, all right? While your transmission, out that's a big job to get your transmission out. It's a labor job, again. Um, you know, it's going to cost you some money to get that transmission out. So uh, while your transmission is out, why don't you replace your clutch while you're at it? Um, because, you know, it's there. The transmission is on the floor. The clutch is right there. It is exposed. It's bared. A new clutch is like, Eight hundred to twelve hundred bucks. So it's there, right? the The correct thing to do, if you're wondering, is to replace that clutch, uh, unless it's got five, five you know, fifty thousand miles on it. Um, replace that clutch. You know, chances are that clutch is going to have you know two, three, four hundred thousand miles on it. Replace it. But he said in this case, it just they're like no, 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 nope. And in the end, I mean, it's a money thing. I just couldn't afford to to do that. So back to my main point. Find the money. Figure out a way. Make sure that you're running your business in such a way. You know, don't take loads that are going to leave you such a tight profit margin that you can't afford to replace quote unquote to replace your clutch while the transmission's out that principle applies to so many different parts of maintaining trucks but uh you know make sure that make sure you can do it you gotta do that because you know you throw that transmission back in you go down the road 50,000 miles 100,000 miles thing goes out you gotta pull that transmission again you're, you're paying for the same job to be done twice so anyway enough said about that uh kudos to my sister, huh right <laughs> uh, oh, hey, I gotta tell you this, you guys. this was crazy. This is a crazy one. what this just this just dropped in on me this uh this evening. <laughs> I am in my hands holding right now. Can you hear that? you know that sound? Yeah, that would be a cardboard box. This is that sound right there that's nails on a cardboard box. Uh- <laughs> I received a cardboard box in the mail. This is a cardboard box that I sent out in the mail. It was a box of merchandise, you guys, uh from my from my own website from my YouTube channel from the Wild Wild West deal. And I'm just looking this thing over and I'm actually surprised that it appears our tape uh our tape survived. It appears that uh our packaging withstood the test of time here. Uh, you guys, this particular package that I'm holding was sent out to a man named Vaughn Adlem. Adlem. Vaughn, I don't know if it's Adlem or Adlem. Vaughn ordered some merchandise from me from the nation of Africa, the country uh, the... I guess they call it... A, is it a state or... A con- no, continent of Africa, country of South Africa. There we go. And... uh Oh, this actually, I remember this was the package. This deal is what caused me to quit shipping internationally, <laughs> believe it or not. Uh, when I first started my website, I was I was willing to ship stuff uh, internationally. I, I think I had a thing on there. It was like, yeah, email me, you know, the details. My main regular ordering system is not set up. Uh, it just doesn't work to, to do international shipping through the typical... Uh, Protocols that the website provides me because the shipping is such a you don't know, you don't know. It can be, you know, you send something to Canada and it's like, well, that's not too bad, and then someone from Europe emails and wants something, and you're like, okay, your shipping's like $60 and your, you know, your product is is uh much less. Uh but this, I believe this was the one that this was the straw that broke the camel's back, you guys. <laughs> I'm I'm sorry, as I'm a little slightly distracted, as I'm kind of looking this over and reading, um, the shipping on this uh, was one of those that was, I think this total, pa- I think it was $60 worth of merchandise, and the shipping was almost the same. Um, anyway, what had happened with this deal, I got a notification. Check this out. This is the date. This was shipped. Postage was paid September 14th, we're like September 27th right now, 6th, 7th. This was September 14th. Hold up, 2022, you guys, 2022. This was over one year ago. This was a year and a week ago that I shipped this box <laughs> to Old Vaughan in South Africa. Wow. Um, I In December, I got a notification from PayPal that I had like a, it's not really a complaint, it's like a dispute and the dispute stated that it tells you like like the customer Mr uh Mr Adlam uh could send a message to PayPal saying hey this is my beef well his beef was my package never came um don't ask me why but the package never came so of course PayPal says he's you know he's unhappy because he paid for this stuff and it never came as everybody would be unhappy myself included So they say, this is the beef, and then PayPal kind of says, what do you want to do? And they give you a couple options, like, do you want to dispute the beef? Do you want to refund the beef? Uh, So, of course, you know, I feel terrible. I'm like, yeah, no, refund the beef. So by the time we do all the refunding, um, you know, you refund the shipping, um, which was, I can't remember this, anyway, you refund the shipping, which was $60 or $87 or something like that, and... uh, you refund the shipping, and then the downside of it is you've lost the merchandise, right? So you have, you know, a hat and a shirt that you had made somewhere at some point, uh, which is worth, you know, out of your pocket. Oh, I can't. I think I think the hats you're like twenty two dollars or twenty five with shipping or something into the hats. You, you you have and I'm being pretty open here with merchandise. You end up with like a five dollar six dollar profit margin kind of on an item. So you know you sell a hat, you make five bucks. You sell a shirt after shipping and all that, you make five bucks or whatever. Um. So I was like, man, this is terrible. I'm out the shipping, right? Uh, that's that's that's. You know, I refunded that back, um, and then you're out. Th- I guess the shipping is kind of a wash because he paid me, and now I'm paying it back. But the the one where it where it stunk was, you know, the merchandise is gone, and, it, and it's not like it's going to break the bank, right? It's a hat and a shirt. So, but but it's still it's like it's gone. That's that's just out there. Uh, and I believe just a couple of weeks after this had happened, I had a sweatshirt vanish that was going to Canada. And uh, the sweatshirts are expensive. They're they're a lot more out of pocket to get those made, and uh, the profit margin. They're so heavy. This is what's bad about sweatshirts, right? They're like they're great to wear, and I love sweatshirts. They are expensive to make. They are heavy to ship, and uh, it just doesn't. You actually, they're the smallest profit margin of all the merchandise is sweaters. But um, and to try to be somewhat competitive with you know with everything else out there. But anyway, I had a sweater uh vanish and so I sent a second sweater <laughs> and I don't think it I don't know if it made it either oh, anyway it, it in the end I ended up just saying sorry I can't ship internationally I'm I, I'm sorry I wish there was a way that I could but it seemed like you know domestic shipping in the states yeah you don't hardly have any trouble you know here and there something will get returned or whatever and you you email the customer and you figure out why and you send it back again and it goes but I'm like I'm like fifty percent on my international stuff. You're like, hey, did you get this? You know, eh, anybody out there? <laughs> so this box returned to me, you guys, a year and a week afterwards. So now we're all even. I guess everything's everything's squared up because I figured I lost the merchandise to uh somebody working in a postal center in South Africa. But the box came back. It has so many markings on it, so many random numbers, uh, people writing with sharpies on it, things crossed out. The bottom of it has been smashed pretty, pretty, pretty good. But I almost don't want to open it. I almost want to just keep it as a time capsule. <laughs> it's made it this this long. I wish it could have had like a like a tracker or a camera on it to see all the places this little box has been. And you made it all the way back to our little arms safe, safe and sound. So, uh, Vaughn, I don't know if you listen to the podcast, man, but, um, sorry that didn't work out. I'm amazed that this box came, came back to me. Uh, I wish that it, uh, I wish that it was in your house instead of mine, but here it is. Okay. That was, uh, that's kind of an interesting thing. I just, have you guys ever had something like that? Something comes back to you in the mail a y- over a year after you send it out? Like, so here's the question. Has this been floating, uh, has this has this been just sitting in a mail room somewhere to just sit on a shelf for like uh, you know ten months, eleven months, and then they're like, "Well, we can't get this delivered. Let's send it back," or do you think it's just been bouncing around from mail place to mail place? I don't I don't understand. I how does it? I have so many questions. How how has it been traveling all this time? I don't know. I don't know. But here it is. <laughs> Okay, I'm gonna tell you guys this last story, and then we're gonna wrap this up. Um, road rage. Oh man, road rage. You see all of the videos on social media all the time. All the crazy road rage. Saw some whacked out trucker videos. Trucker with a tire iron going after another guy, like in a traffic jam. I there's there's just road rage, and I don't I don't think. I guess maybe I should talk to someone that's a little older. I don't think there was all this road rage quiet so much back in the day. And so I've wondered what has caused all the road rage everywhere. Like, what spurs all this? And I, I, I don't know if it's a... Is it like a millennial thing? Is it, you know, millennials and... What's the generation below millennials? The snowflake generation? Is that... No, that... <laughs> whoops okay sorry snowflake is not a generation that's a nickname for okay i'm that is i'm so sorry (laughs) there's a name for the generation is it gen z is that what comes after the millennials anyway millennials on down gen z to the snowflake whatever it is um (laughs) no i know what snowflake is it's not the name of a generation um (laughs) oh goodness I gotta stay on track. Uh, is I don't know if it's because uh, you know people are. I I don't know if they just don't have the ability to cope with uh, things as well as the older generations do. Like you know, you get cut off. The old generation seem to be like, oh, well, that guy's an idiot. But well, where nowadays you're like this. Ah, <laughs> You know, all this wacky road rage stuff. Um, have you have you had road rage? Have you dealt with it? I'm you know, you guys know me. I'm I feel like I'm pretty easy going. No, I don't feel like it. I am. I am I am pretty slow to anger. Um my fuse is decent. Decent. No, it's not perfect, it's decent. I will say this that running for NASCAR definitely chopped uh inches off of my fuse. Driving trucks through all that traffic uh, dealing with all the east coast stuff up uh going when we go up up north um just coast to coast stuff my fuse I had a pretty good fuse that fuse was definitely damaged um running with chris out the, out there uh hauling race cars I have been um you know since I've been off from doing that for a while I have been redeveloping my fuse uh trying to to grow it <laughs> as it were. <laughs> Um I have a decent fuse now but i I came across something that reminded me of an old incident of road rage that I had this was a while <laughs> this was a while back you guys uh this was back i i couldn't i'm i'm gonna say this was about twenty fifteen twenty fourteen fifteen uh back in twenty fourteen or fifteen whenever this was I had a gig. Um, I wasn't doing a whole lot of over-the-road trucking yet. I was mostly running in Montana. And I'd come up with this gig that was it was pretty decent. It was pretty decent. And a lot of loads. They weren't... It was one of those deals where it wasn't paying... It was decent pay. It wasn't bad pay. It was decent pay. But it all hinged on if you could get two loads in a day or not. If you got hung up or something happened and you could only get one load in a day the day it was just not a great day um you know i want to say back then it was paying like you know 5 to 600 to to go 115 20 miles whatever it, whatever it ended up uh, i was hauling scrap iron i was hauling um loosely processed uh not not fine ground scrap but fairly raw scrap iron from a scrap yard here uh where we live to a town um 100 and like i said 110 20 miles away where they had a rail yard and i would dump the scrap i had an end dump i was renting an end dump at the time from a guy and uh was driving a Peterbilt uh 379 long hood you know really really cool actually it's a truck i wish i had back still um had a detroit in it wish i had more appreciation for that truck when i had it uh anyhow it's long gone down the line but um I was hauling scrap iron, so what I would do is I would go to our local scrap yard and they would use their claw and they would load my end dump, I had a 40 foot end dump, frameless end dump, they would fill it full of scrap, I would run it over to, uh, to the next town there to Great Falls and I would dump it and then I would hustle back and they would reload me and I would get back to Great Falls again for a second round just before they would close, I mean just right at closing time. And great day, right? And then the next day I'd probably be home doing something catching up here on the ranch, and then you know basically every other day they, their goal kind of was we want to move kind of four to six loads of scrap iron out of our yard every week, okay? We're trying to get this place shaped up, and this is what we need to move. So it was good. young trucker, it was great anyway i'm driving I'm driving uh home i had I had unloaded my first load of scrap. maybe it was my second load of scrap. I don't. I don't remember. It's, real, it's irrelevant. Um, but I had unloaded. I was empty, and I'm driving. You know, back east, coming back here to get to get back to uh, to the yard. And there's this little Honda Civic behind me, and it. You've had this happen before, or you've been the person in the car before, where you're behind a truck, or it doesn't have to even be a truck. You're just behind somebody, or someone's behind you, and they keep peeking out wanting to pass you on you know these are two lane roads and they keep peeking out just but they can't get their timing right they just peek out and here's come some cars right um at this time montana's better now but at the time that this was going on montana had split speed limits so the truck speed limit on a two-lane road is 60 miles an hour the car vehicle speed limit um i should say the personal vehicle speed limit was 70 miles an hour so oftentimes you had cars going you know pushing 75 you know running five over and trucks it seemed like they'd give you a four over pretty well you didn't you really didn't want to go a whole lot over 64 uh, back in those days or they would you know might pull you over flash their lights at you so i'm driving you know cruise on at 64 and this poor little honda civic it just kept coming out and there would be cars coming and so they'd come back in. And and I'm, you know, after a while, after like, you know, 15 miles of this, I'm like, man, this, this is probably not a super experienced driver. Um, They're just not, <laughs> they're, they're just not timing things right, you know? And so uh, anyhow, they keep peeking out and playing this game. And they finally, finally get this window where they're like, okay, we're going to pass this truck. And I mean, they've probably tried to pass me already maybe five times. And, uh, so the sixth time say, uh, that they go to pass me, they, they come out and they're actually halfway by me and we start pulling into this little town, um, where the speed limit goes down to 45 and it's double yellow. So they see, oh man, we're slowing down. It's 45 zone. And instead of just, they're already halfway by me, instead of just pressing by me and going on their way, they duck back behind me. So I'm like, okay, whatever it's your deal. Uh, we get through the 40, this is where it starts getting bad. We get through the 45 mile an hour zone and it's time to accelerate back up to highway speed. So I start accelerating. Um, they start accelerating and the road's wide open. They can pass. Uh, so we get up to speed and I, of course, you know, top out at 64 and that's where I'm done. And they come around me now and and they've got nothing but wide open, you know, Montana, big sky two lane. So they're coming, and I'm like, right on. Good for you guys. You're finally getting this chance to come around. And as they pull up next to my door, they actually slow down. And they just kind of match my speed there. And when that happens, you go, okay, what's going on? So I look down out my window, down at this car. And it's a young couple. I'm going to say they were probably like boyfriend, girlfriend type thing. Um, Maybe, I don't know, 19, 20 years old. And... The girlfriend looks up at me, pulls out both of her middle fingers and starts just pounding them against the glass of her passenger window. Uh, pounding them against the glass and then starts just pumping them like she's like running, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like trying to give me the most vehement uh forceful middle fingers that she can possibly come up with. And then her boyfriend in the driver's seat looks over and realizes his girlfriend, despite the pumping of the fists and the banging on the glass, is not getting her point across to me well enough that he goes ahead and reaches over, you know, kind of has to look down awkwardly so he can try to look up at me. And he also adds a middle finger. So now I've got three little middle fingers down there banging on the glass and doing the dance and all this Really letting me know that I am a horrible person and should be ashamed that I've made them so angry, right? Now, I'm in the truck going, have you ever had this happen where somebody reacts out of nowhere to you? And you're like, what? <laughs> Hold on. What are you talking? To- where do you get off? What? <laughs> What? Wh- where? <laughs> so that's me. I'm looking down, just like, oh, and you know, I don't know what it was that day, but I just it, they just flipped the switch, the fuse for whatever reason. I'm gonna guess that it was probably my second load. I bet I was tired, and it was the end of the day, and I've been pushing hard. And those you had to get up like at five on those days to go get loaded in time, and I bet I was kind of at the end of my rope, is why that I had this response or this reaction and what it was was that i went ahead and just laid on the old throttle just put that hammer down bud put that hammer down that's what i did so uh their little honda civic gets around me you know because it takes a minute to build up a head of steam in your semi so they're you know they after they'd finished rattling down their middle fingers at me they uh they get out in front of me flip uh switch has flipped and i am i am headed for him. i'm like you know what no i put the pedal to the metal and i start gaining on them and now we are all running like uh i don't know probably 80 85 90 now as i look back at it not and this is and i'm saying it's not a great decision but again for whatever reason i just i just had, had enough so i I'm following them now I'm hot on I'm not tailgating them but they realize that I am now matching their speed and that poor little Honda Civic is just I mean it's puffing little puffs of smoke and they're I mean they got the they got it all the way they got it all the way and um (laughs) of course this truck that I'm in it's like a 90 mile an hour truck no problem so I am running eighteen hundred RPMs in this Detroit, and just matching them. You know, they're they're a reflector post in front of me, running for their lives, and here I am. So I, I don't know what I am going to do. I am just like I don't know. I am just I am just going to follow them to let them know that this young, you know, being youthful and and you just no, you know what? Apparently, no one in your life has ever told you no and stop. And I was going to be the guy to do that this day. No, and stop. So we get down to the road. We get to this famous little junction in the road called Eddie's Corner. Uh, If you've been trucking, you've been around Montana, you have probably heard of Eddie's Corner. It's just a small little junction, little four-way junction deal, uh, three-way junction rather. And um, they pull into this place. It's a gas station with a restaurant and, and a fuel island. And they pull into this thing. And the mistake that they made was that instead of pulling under the car fuel islands, they just pulled into the first parking spot that they could find. And I went ahead and I I should have kept, I should have just kept going, you guys. I'll tell you this right now. I should have kept on driving. But I was like, no, I'm going to take this another step further. And I pull my semi in to the parking lot and I just box them in. I just park my semi, you know, parallel to the side of this building, you know, just close enough, there's no way they can back their car out. And there I sit. Just... Just letting my blood cool down. And and I am. I'm like, I'm cooling off, right? I'm like, okay, good. They're in their car absolutely freaking out. You can just tell. She's got her hands up and she's doing the, uh, you know, so like, what are we going to do? And this is, you know, they probably grew up in the time of like, what was that? What was that? Um, What was that one trucker? Uh, <laughs> it was like a horror movie that came out in the kind of early to early 2000s. With the candy man, or whatever his name was, where he the uh, they were kind of trolling this trucker on the CB, right? And then he like has them trapped in this hotel. Anyway, th- I think they were thinking that was what was going to go on. And you know, he's throwing his hands up and she's being animated. And they're not, I mean, they're not getting out, they're too scared to do anything. And you guys, I'm not going to do anything. Like, I'm not going to get out of my truck. I'm not doing anything. I just wanted to make a point that there is no reason for you to act so idiotic like that it's just uncalled for all these middle fingers flying at me i'm just out here driving four over the speed limit what am i supposed to do you don't need it it's not my fault you couldn't get around me like you just you didn't know how to whatever like it's fine it's just you know sometimes stuff just happens on the road yeah i was stuck behind a truck for a while i finally got around him you don't gotta march out the middle fingers and go walking down the highway with them but uh anyway that was it that was the that was the end of it i uh after a minute or two, it kind of cooled down, gave him a little toot of the horn, and I drove on my way, now, hopefully, they learned a good lesson that day, that, you know, you just need to have a little more understanding and respect, and just, you know, we're all, we're all people out here doing our deal, so, uh, (laughs) so be good, but, uh, uh, anyway, that came to mind, I, I don't remember what I came across here today that popped that back in my head, and I had a little chuckle, and then, uh, as I realized I was going to be doing a little podcasting, I thought I'm going to share that with everybody. As a, you know what I've I've grown personally. I, I I don't think I would catch myself doing that again. I I don't think I would care enough. That's the thing. I would not. Now I've grown into where Like I don't care. You're stuck behind me. You want to come around and honk at me and flip me off and what it like? <laughs> okay, have fun with whatever horrible life you're living that makes you lash out at people this way good luck. Do your thing. Go on to the whatever little hole you crawled out of to, you know, to treat me this way. That's how I am more now. Um, and uh, that's a good example. So uh, try, to, try to remember that. Be, uh, try to be slow to anger and uh, always work on growing those fuses and getting them longer. You guys, we're out of time. We, uh, we've hit our hour here. Uh, I hope that me having to do this on my own did not put you to sleep. I hope you found some of these things interesting. Uh, maybe got a chuckle at my expense. Uh, maybe reminisced about uh, some, of your own, <laughs> some of your own experiences, uh, whether it be smashing fingers or dealing with road rage. Um, Till next time, you guys be good.